that we'll see each other as rivals and enemies. We will fight and we'll be weaker and they can steal our wealth. Well, since we know that, we should do the very opposite. The borders have their uses, but we must realize we are one people, we have one cause, we must join hands and, and fight those who have been depredating our, 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 our continent for centuries. I actually want to take, let's take a quick break, because one of the questions that you can maybe think about um, during this break is, what is the importance of having an alliance within African nations for positive change in the best interest of Africa as a whole? And we'll take a break, and when we come back, uh, if you can answer that question, that'll maybe help our listeners better understand why it's important what you do. I'll, I'll be happy to. Thank you. 
Welcome back to Congo Live, the authentic voice of the Congolese people. And we want to remind our listeners who want to participate in this conversation to call at 410-481-1010. Our lines are always open and we're always welcome to have your questions. Um, you were just listening to Makolo Yamasia. Um, by Congolese artist Carlito Lassa, a Congolese artist who spent time with the group Antishok and, uh, and sang with Kofi Olomide uh, in his early years. Um, in the song, he speaks briefly about the beginning of time and its relation to the Bible and how he's forgiven a loved one for what she has done to um, him as Jesus uh, also forgives. And as we're talking about the beginning of time and you're talking about the lines that have been drawn uh, when you speak about the Togo and the um, in Ghana and we're talking about colonialism and its influences in Africa and how they still have a stronghold um, in Africa. And this question is for our guest, of course. What is the importance of as of us having an alliance within African nations for positive change and for the best interest of all Africans. And in that question, what I'm really trying to better understand is the work that you're doing within the metropolitan area. What is the importance of having one voice when you are putting this pressure within the U.S. government? I think it is. I can't think of anything more important because... I have been an activist on U.S. foreign policy for all the time I have been in. uh, Washington has been my home for decades. I travel outside the continent. I've done work in Brazil, worked all over Africa, but Washington has been my home. So I've been doing this for a long time, and I realize, again, no matter how brilliant you are, no matter how good your analysis when you don't have people behind you, because in many ways this is a big struggle, in many ways you can liken it to war. In a war, it doesn't matter how brilliant an officer or a general is, how many troops does he have behind him. The most brilliant general, Napoleon by himself, can't achieve anything. So it has, it has hit me after all those experiences working with different organizations, Trans-Africa, Africa Action. I, I work for the um, Open Society um, uh, Foundation. Mm-hmm. They all drove down to me that this has to be done as a mass movement. This has to be done as a group of people. And the, the other thing is that the, the, the rationale for doing it this way is Besides the fact that the borders of Africa were drawn in an illegitimate process by foreigners who wanted to weaken Africa and steal her wealth, um, there aren't enough um, citizens of uh, African countries or people born in one particular African country in the United States in order to get our voices heard. We don't have enough numbers. I mean... Of course, Nigeria is the most populous country, and I, uh, um, people of Nigerian background, if you are looking at African immigrants, they are the largest number. But even they are not enough to command, to, to have a voice that gets the attention of the U.S. government and policymakers sufficiently, because it is about numbers. So I'm saying, us working together as Africans, it's, it is the right thing to do, and it is also effective because that's when our voices can be heard. If we were just doing it as, okay, Ghanaian Americans alone, Nigeria Americans, Congolese Americans separately and alone, um, um, 54 different groups, 
I think we we will get very little. We will, we will get we won't get as far as we would get if we did it as uh, a Pan African a Pan African group. You also mentioned at the beginning of um, you know this approach is also important on the continent itself. And this is the impetus behind the creation of the uh, OAU, the Organization of African Unity, and then which has been transformed into the Africa Union. And, mm-hmm. and I, I, again, I grew up at, under Kwame Nkrumah, and um, I, I have been hugely influenced by him. Um, and therefore, the idea of African unity is very important to me. And Nkrumah himself, one of his several books was Africa Must Unite. So for me, that is an article of faith. Unless we unite and we are strong, we won't be able to achieve much. Thank you, Nye, for that. And um, I always appreciate uh, your input and your insight, uh, learning a lot from you. But I'm interested in something very particular as well. Um, Sometimes when a person has diamond, he does not, he or she does not uh, realize that he or she holds a diamond until that person loses it. And that's how sometimes I feel about the diaspora as a whole, but in particular around the Congo. Um, as a Pan-African, as a Ghanaian, when you look at the Congo, uh, what can you share with our listeners uh, the potential of a peaceful Congo? and why your engagement in seeing Congo be free? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and again, Congo has been close to my heart for ever since I was, I was little, and so I've heard a lot about the Congo. Um, I remember when the news actually came out in 1961 that Prime Minister Lumumba had been killed. I can remember the pain in Nkrumah's voice when he, he gave a national, a, a, a national speech about that. So for Ghanaians of a certain age, my age, Congo has been central, and we have, we have been uh, educated to focus on the centrality of, of the Congo. Now, of course, all the, Africa is one place. All the 54 countries are important. But if you look at the geography, Congo is a huge country, incredibly rich at the heart of the continent. Some people call it the heart of Africa. And if that heart is not, is not healthy, it will be hard for the entire continent to be healthy. It shares borders with so many countries so that whatever goes on in the Congo uh, um, affects for good or ill, affects the neighbors. And right now, if you look across the continent, some of the areas where the most pressing problems are, the most boiling problems are, are in the Congo and, and its neighbors. As I've been saying, one of the things that really bothers me is U.S. Um, uh, support of dictators in Africa. Uh, and they've been doing this again, I will say, a long time. If you ask me, I'll say they were doing it even before the era of independence with their support of apartheid and their support of the European colonialists. But since independence, the first huge crisis was in the Congo. Prime Minister Lumumba, the, the quote, Congo crisis, the UN being there. So Congo has been, if Congo has been um, an area of Africa where if the problems are not solved, the rest of the country, uh, the rest of the continent is still uh, uh, on, the, on the back foot. And if you forward it to today, you have 
to my mind, you know, Uganda just had elections which were very tainted. Uh, Mr. Uh, Museveni is a close ally of the United States. He's not my idea of a, 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 a Democrat. He's been there for 30 years. You go south, you go to Rwanda. Rwanda has invaded the Congo so many times, and yet Mr. Kagame is a big uh, ally of the United States. We have problems brewing in another neighbor of the Congo, Burundi. Now, those are to the uh, um, eastern side of the Congo. You go to the north and the northwestern side, you have Congo Brazzaville. You are Central Africa Republic. You go to the north, you have South Sudan. So the Congo is very central in terms of the, all the problems and issues that worry us. But on the positive side, look at the size of the Congo and size matters. You know, if you were to take, um, if you look at the pick, uh, China is a very important country today. It has the second largest economy. Everybody pays attention to China and gives you respect, even countries that disagree. But if you look at the uh, uh, per capita income of China, it is smaller than many of the um, uh, per capita incomes of other African countries. A country like Gabon has a higher per capita income than China. Mm. The point is that um, size matters, and if the Congo is stable with its wealth, it will help Africa strengthen, it will bring together, as um, I was mentioning about unity and coming together. Um, if, if, when the Congo is stabilized, it will speed up African unity, because with its size and influence and wealth, it is going to forge unity with its neighbors, which means uh, uh, African unity grows. And the more African unity grows and African countries act with one voice, the more power and respect they will get internally and internationally. So I think the Congo, to, 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 to summarize it, is, is incredibly central and important to the United States. So, of course, Congolese citizens, both in the Congo and outside the Congo, especially in the United States, um, need to understand that the, the issue of solving the problems in the Congo are important, not just for the Congolese, but, but for the entire continent of Africa. And, of course, we, we live in the U.S., and you've got some 40, 50 million black people here. There is an African diaspora all over the world. So even the issues of the Congo are important beyond the African continent to the African diaspora itself. Okay, well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just sometimes I get so caught up in listening, I forget that um, <laughs> I'm actually doing a radio show. I want to take a short break and just think about some of the things that you said and allow some of our listeners to process some of the things that you said. And we'll be right back. The 30th June, 1960. Palais de la Nation. Léopoldville, Kinshasa aujourd'hui. Écoutez-moi ça. Nous avons connu les ironies, les insultes, les coups que nous devions subir au matin, midi et soir. Parce que nous étions dénés.
konabiso tote kama kiloko la mungwa natango ya ba konabiso tote kama kiloko la basenzi ipandango to swakinde ya pasi ipandango to swakinde ya kolelelela Welcome back to Congo Live. You were just listening to Jupiter Bakonji and his band Oquest International. His lyrics often carry political and social messages, including criticism of DRC government, as well as the positive encouragement for Africans to better realize their individual talent and potential. And in this specific song, Jupiter sings about the responsibility of Congolese people on the current situation in the Congo, giving a historical comparison from the time of colonialism to the present day today in the Congo. And welcome back to our show, Mr. Nia and Kambale. Are you guys there with me? Yes, yes, yeah. I am here. And, um, Mr. You were talking about the responsibility of the government as a whole. And one thing that stood out for me was the U.S. support of dictators in Africa. Um, if you can elaborate a little bit more on, because a lot of our, I would even speak for myself, um, you know, before I started learning and being involved with people who were aware of uh, the involvement of the U.S. government, to what degree and why do you feel that the U.S. government has interest in a country like the Congo? And how does that correlate to what is happening here in the USA? Oh, I think, um, um, you know, the United States has... um because it's the most powerful country in the world, it's generally accepted. It, it focuses everywhere on, on the globe, and it focuses in key areas. And with Africa, one of its focuses of Africa's Africa's wealth. You know, the last uh, um, in my last question about the importance and special significance of the Congo, I didn't even go into the details of all the unique uh, resources that the Congo has from all the inputs you need for computers and cell and cell phones and all those things. You know, it is well known that uh, the Second World War uh, came to an end in Japan because the United States dropped uh, nuclear weapons on Japan. Well, the U.S., um, the, some, some of the uranium needed for those nuclear weapons came from the Congo. And and so the United States has had that interest in the Congo. I think another reason that they had the interest in the Congo was also in 1960 when Congo got independence. That was the height of the Cold War. The the Soviet Union had been an American ally when they were fighting Hitler in the Second World War. But as as soon as that was over, they became rivals. It devolved into the the, uh, um, the Cold War. And the United States was was bothered and scared 
that African countries who were then becoming independent, they made the, the U.S. made the fundamental mistake of thinking that if African countries criticized Europe for colonialism, that meant they were communist countries, they wanted to join the Soviet Union, and, and, and Congo was the country that bore the huge brunt of that. They mischaracterized Prime Minister Lumumba as a communist. And therefore, they had to oppose him, even though he had wanted America any kind of help to get independence. So I think um, that that U.S. focus on, on Congo is clear. And in terms of support of dictators, again, they've been doing it for a long time. But again, the example of the Congo is clear. With the murder of Patrice Lumumba, the country wobbled for a while. The way it was stabilized was by the U.S. and the, and the Western allies to support Mr. Mobutu, uh, Colonel Mobutu, to become the dictator. He stayed there for over 30-some years. Now, frankly, uh, from, from what I have been seeing, what I, when I've been uh, observing the Congo, it is my personal view that if uh, Mr. Mobutu had been a, a successful president, the Congo would have been very strong today because he had close relationship with seven successive American presidents. He could get on the, on the phone and call them. I wish that that relationship had been used to build up the Congo. It wasn't. So that at the end of his uh, more than 30 years in power, the Congo, to my mind, is still struggling today based on what happened in those 30 uh, years. The way it became independent was destabilized with the rule of U.S.-supported dictators. Now, the rest of Africa, you see those dictatorships there, too, from Rwanda to, to, uh, um, to Uganda to, to Chad to so many countries. So I don't mind telling you that, number one, yes, in my work in the United States, I take a pan-African view that we, the Africans, must come together. Number two, we must fight our fights in a pan-African manner. If there is an issue, if we focus on the Congo, it mustn't be an issue for the Congolese only. Mm -hmm. It must be an issue for all the Africans. And we speak with one voice and choose and push to get to get good policies, because if we don't do that, they will treat African countries as one weak little country after another, and, and we will all suffer for it. Where is the Ghana, uh, Ghanaian government today on Congo's affair? What is their position, if you know at all, and also the people within Ghana today? Oh, I think that, uh, you know, more and more, by, by the way, you know, I'm, uh, for those who don't know, President Nkrumah was overthrown in a coup in 1966. Um, there, you know, so there was a time when it would appear that Ghanaians uh, um, were rejecting him. But the history now is that no, he was actually he was undermined by the big powers. Um, there are papers, even U.S. records that are coming out that the CIA was involved, a number of other countries were involved. So the point that I'm making is that Ghanaians are re-embracing President Nkrumah and the issues that were important to him, and nothing was more important to him than the Congo. So that I think that um, it, it's the, the, the part, your part of your question, the part of your question that is quite easy for me to answer is that um, the, the people of Ghana still have a special place in their hearts for the, for the Congo. Now, the Ghanaian government, Ghanaian government since, since President Nkrumah's time, 
they haven't uh, uh, had the activist uh, Pan-African policies at the same level that President Nkrumah had and his pres- pre- uh, uh, presence on the world stage. And therefore, they haven't made pronouncements on these issues. Probably the way to see it is if the African Union is discussing a Congo issue, you might look at how what Ghana says. But the way that President Nkrumah will call a conference on an African issue or go to the UN and speak on it, the Ghana government doesn't do it. It's more inwardly focused trying to deal with the problems of Ghana itself. But for the people of Ghana, Congo still is a very passionate issue. And in our, we have about two minutes left um, on the show. I have one last question for you. Uh, in all the work that you have done in your 40 years, how would you like to be remembered in this Pan-African movement when you have a new generation of you know, young adults coming up, children? How do you want to be remembered in the work that you do? You know, I was telling a young friend of mine, a graduate student at Catholic University, uh, that the, the the way I just see myself is, uh, I mean, I call myself a, a foot soldier for Pan-Africanism. That's it. I'm, I'm just trying to to make a little contribution because I do think that the destiny of our continent is for it to be united, mm-hmm. for us to, in effect, erase the the bad borders put there to to divide us, mm-hmm. for us to unite and move forward. So for me, I, my, my job has been to make whatever little contribution is in my power to make. And since Washington and the United States has been my home, I read it as try and bring the Africans together. And since most of those people will be younger than me, share with them what I've learned and then hand the baton to them so they can run forward with it. But a foot soldier for Pan-Africanism. And what is your message to the young generation now? Oh, um, you know, the young generation, especially those that were born in the United States, there are important things to learn here, but there are also some great African traditions that I wish would not be, would not be uh, thrown away simply because they are traditional or Africa-based. And I am being, um, of course, biased. Mm-hmm. But they say older people are like uh, libraries, Absolutely. You need to study and learn from them. And so I, I wish that the older gener- I mean, the younger generation will reject the American habit of saying, you are not to be trusted if you are more than 30 years and you are old and we don't have to listen to you. Actually, I think you need to hear people who have more experience uh, uh, take that, the lessons and the, and the knowledge from them. And by the way, I think the current president of the United States, that's one of his underappreciated um, uh, um, um, uh, habits throughout his career he links up with older more experienced people and learn from them and that is how he rose so fast so my message to younger people is get next to the older people who have experience and learn from them and take the knowledge they have and thank you so much for joining us today on Congo Live. It's an honor to have you on the show. And hopefully, if ever you have time again, you can always join us back. And Kambali, thank you for having me. Uh, and you're absolutely welcome. And you're always welcome into our studio. Next time, hopefully, you can actually come in the studio. And <laughs> Kambali, thank you for being on the radio with me. It's always a pleasure to be on the show with you. And we want to remind our listeners to join us next Saturday at 2 o'clock. We'll be back here in the studio on Congo Live for another live and engaging episode.
Baltimore, we have the power to protect our community and our children. I'm Sheila Dixon and I'm running for mayor. Some ask, why run again? I'll tell you why. I'm angry that our children are surrounded by drugs and violence. We have the power and the responsibility to end the killings on our streets. I'm running for mayor because I'm the only candidate with a proven track record of reducing crime and creating jobs. I've done it before and I'll do it again even better. No one is more prepared than I am to take on the forces who want to hold us back. No one will work harder for our families than I will. Baltimore, this election you decide. Not the establishment or outsiders thinking they know what's best for our community. Send a strong message that our community comes first. I am asking for your vote. We can do this. Early vote from April 14th through the 21st and Election Day on April 26th. WOLB Baltimore, a Radio 1 station where information is power. The views and opinions of the guest and host you hear are not necessarily those of the staff and management of Radio 1, its sponsors, or advertisers. Trying to keep up with the latest in entertainment? They got you. Want to hear interesting interviews? Clueless as to what's going on in the sports world? 